and welcome to Do the Right Thing, your weekly writing prompt podcast. I'm Matthias. And I'm Jarvis. Jarvis and I are aspiring writers, which means sometimes we collect letters, we put them together into words, and then we put those words together into sentences. So we're doing a challenge. Each week, one of us sits down. Our goal is to write a complete short story using three of four randomly generated words. Then we come on the podcast, we read the story, we talk about what we learned writing it, and then we talk about stories uh, sent in by you listeners. Mm-hmm. We're simply here to help you do the right thing. A, a Doof, Doof Media, Media production. production. Look at us. We're so good. I could call us spicy do, mayonnaise. Do, do, you think, do you think listeners really like this bit where we, where we say that we did good and when we didn't, like every week? Because we do that every week. I mean, do you think they like that? I like I don't know because uh, no one's leaving comments under each episode discussion. Well, well, to be fair, I haven't posted the last two episodes because okay. I I keep forgetting. So, <laughs> um, yeah, welcome to the most dysfunctional podcast on the Doof Media Network. Exactly by mm-hmm. design, though this is all on purpose. So don't think we're just fucking around. All right. That's right. Even though this is like one of the most structured like ideas of a podcast, like this is we're trying to you know impart lessons and like you know the Doofcast is like oh we'll talk about a movie and it's like whatever, but we have like a like a set you know like like a lesson plan and yeah. yet and yet <laughs> and yet. Um, <laughs> all right, what what were the what were the words to speak, Jarvis? So the words for this week were gallery, heat likely and persona and also this week we are talking about dialogue how to write dialogue what makes good dialogue all that jazz since i didn't write this week uh for obvious reasons because i forgot how to read last week i'm sorry yeah yeah, 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 Uh, yeah. but this week matthias did write so what'd you bring for us well the words that i used were uh (laughs) heat uh likely in gallery you know i I had a little bit of difficulty this week uh i've been dealing Mm -hmm. with with some stuff so um i I think my writing suffered a little bit for it but i was i was focused on writing dialogue with like by the end of it making it so hopefully you can recognize most of the characters just by the dialogue they're saying Um, i don't know how strongly i accomplished that um, this is definitely something I'm going to have to try again and, and, and try it differently. So you really focus on the, the characterization in the dialogue. Yeah. What I was trying to do is, is set up this, this conflict and then, you know, put a bunch of characters in the room and just have them bounce off each other, which, which was fun. I, you know, re- reflecting on previous writing, the, the most enjoyable stuff that I, that I write is when I'm, I'm just focused on this, the, the bouncing off when mm. I, let it kind of just feel natural between the between all the characters. This was this was that for the most part. It was not super planned, and I think uh, by the end, you know, you'll, you'll you'll kind of realize it because it's a little bit meandering. But or not meandering. It just it's not as punchy as some other stories are. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think I, I have at least one half decent joke in there. Okay. So <laughs> at least one half half decent joke. All right. I would say half no more than half decent. But all right, cool. Well, I mean, I know like sitting some some characters in a room and like having them talk uh, does a lot not only for the writer trying to figure out what each character does sound like, but also finding that voice. Um, so really mm-hmm. through writing this, uh, did you get a better sense as it went along of who the characters were? Or like, were you trying to focus on not only the 
a dialogue, but the voice you were using or like a mixture of both? It was definitely something I discovered as I went through. Okay. Actually, most of the stuff is like character dependent if I'm going to talk about it. So um, I'll just uh, read my story and then we'll get into it. All right, sure. So I called the story Defacement in the Dark. The lights in the art gallery flickered and went out. There was a shout, the sound of ripping paper, a few seconds of scuffling, and then the lights came back on. The Gordeman Art Gallery was small and prestigious. The walls were a frosty white, and the paintings were spaced far apart, all depicting, or otherwise feeling, like faint sources of heat in the cold. There were only five people in the room. Mr. Gordeman himself, his assistant, M.X. Theo, a woman in rich white furs, and the two painters responsible for each for half the paintings in the gallery. One, named Miss Huntrod, and the other known only as You. They all stood around a frame, the central painting, the piece de resistance of the showing, a wall-to-wall -wall landscape done in blacks and greys, like dunes of volcanic smoke, the dimmest red glow whispering between the waving grains, promising some comfort and heat, if only you were to go deeper into the darkness. A massive gash marred it from one edge to the other. Miss Huntrod screamed, My baby! Our painting, you said. Everyone was a distance away from the painting, having stepped away in the dark. The tear went from nearly one edge to the other, revealing the white wall behind. It was ragged and uneven, and the bottom half of the painting now sagged forward like an open mouth and flapped in the gentle air-conditioning breeze. There was a line of black paint dust on the floor. Oh dear, the woman in furs said. Can you fix it? Mix Theo said. Fix it, Huntrod said, as you let out a laugh. What kind of question is that? The question we should be asking is who did this? We could check the security cameras. Mix Theo started up the stairs. Stop, Mr. Gordman said. They stopped. What is it, sir? The lights went out, Mr. Gordman said. The cameras wouldn't have seen anything. Sure, but it might be worth seeing who was standing the closest when the lights went out. Hold on a moment, dear, the woman in furs said. Our trusted curator here makes an excellent point. A better line of questioning would be what motive someone could have to have damaged the painting. Couldn't someone have just tripped and done it on accident? Theo said. Don't be ridiculous. How likely is that? There's not even anything here to trip on. No. I think you're deflecting attention, miss. What did you say your name was? Huntrod said. The woman in furs gasped. Mr. Gordman leapt into action, placing himself between the two. I told you, this is Lady Leanne. She's a countess. The Lady Leanne waved a hand. Oh, I don't like titles. Though she did sound a little bit pleased. And she's one of your bigger patrons, funded half of your presents. I brought her here to see what she paid for. She had pledged to purchase the painting after the showing. A regrettable decision, it seems, she said. Especially now that this premiere piece is damaged. Now I won't be able to add it to my collection. A shame. You did it, Huntrod exclaimed. Why would I destroy our own painting, you said. Shut up, you. I was talking about her. She destroyed it so she wouldn't have to pay for it. Now, now, let's not get too hasty, Mr. Gordman said. Listen to the old man, dear. Why would I destroy your painting? I didn't have to purchase it at all. And in fact, it wouldn't exist if it weren't for my influence. What was that item on the log? Liquid ivory? Not be hasty. One of you tore and defaced my magnum opus, my heart and child. Huntrod put her face in her hands. Well, I didn't do it, you said. Huntrod whirled. I didn't say you, I said one of you. I know, that's what I'm saying. I didn't do it. Maybe, Theo said, maybe someone did on an accident, tripped and fell in the dark and ripped it, and they don't want to admit it? Huntrod scoffed through tears. Cool, 
Yeah, that's, that's so much better. She approached the canvas, ran a hand along the tear. She gasped when further flakes dusted onto the floor. Well, you clapped his hands together. Regardless of who done it, it remains that something must be done here. What are we putting here instead? I think Low Warmth Landscape 3 would be a really good new centerpiece. Oh, of course. Of course you wants to hand LWR 3, of course. It was a collaborative piece. That you did most of the brushwork on. Sure, the watchers won't know that it's mostly your piece, but I know you, you, and I'll know. Oh, this is a disaster. Terribly sorry this occurred, Mr. Gordman said. Most unfortunate timing, too, the night before the first viewing and the auction. Yu was walking back and forth in front of the painting, examining it from different angles. He stopped, hand-rubbing thoughtfully at his chin. Huntrod, come stand next to me. What do you see? Huntrod joined him, and they both stroked their chins. She murmured thoughtfully. I see a chest opened up, the heart removed, a cavity for the cold and alone to crawl and fester inside, a vast and snowy blankness consuming even the last glimmers of warmth. You continued, I see loneliness, I see existential pain, I see loss. The Lady Leanne walked over and pondered, I see a travesty, some beautiful rags. It might belong in a vintage store, if you don't want to throw it out. Huntrat scowled at that. MX Theo took a gander. They ventured, I really think you could just sew up the back and it would probably be fine. Mr. Gordman walked over, pondered just as the rest of them cocked his head. Hmm, I think I see something too. And what's that, Mr. Gordman? Theo said. Mr. Gordman smiled. I see an opportunity. Huntra turned to Theo. Don't report the damage. She looked at everyone still here. According to everyone here, the painting was always like this. This was on purpose. Gordman and Theo nodded. Lady Leanne gave an uncaring shrug. I'm still not paying for it. Someone else might, you said. He walked to get a different angle. It actually looks so much better this way. It's brilliant. Whoever did this must have had an artist's hand in the rip. It's perfectly angled to follow the flow of the impasto. Hey, you? Huntrod said. You turned. Yes? Huntrod smacked him. Nice, nice. What a great story. Uh, I really love the back and forth that you set up here. Um, it's very snappy. And yeah, you definitely accomplished the goal of having each line of dialogue directly linked to a character w without you needing that many like tags to let us know who is talking uh, because the actual dialogue was so inspired by that character. Uh, so I really, really like that. And, <laughs> and also, I, I did love the, the slight commentary on the art world at the very end. That was very fun. <laughs> just, just a little bit. I mean... Um... I, 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 I'm, I'm usually more on the, the side of the artists. I mean, I think something like this could happen. I think it would be less conspiratorial if they were to do it. I think it'd be more genuine, but... Definitely. Uh, uh, so what really brought you to want to write this? Uh, so uh, essentially, I originally started writing a mystery, and then I lost I lost the thread, and then I looked at most of the mm -hmm. dialogue. It's like, this just mostly fits a damaged painting. And so I continued from there. Uh, because I was like, I, I don't know how to salvage this in, unless I just uh, were to, to rewrite it. And uh, I was okay. putting things off for too long. So <laughs> that's the that's the brutal honesty. So the last half was pretty much off the cuff for you. Yeah, although I was writing, you know, bouncing around. So uh, it wasn't 
straight up the the entire last half and I had to go back and, and change things originally I had it so like when the lights are out someone like tears off the whole painting like cuts it away so there's just like an empty mm-hmm. frame there but then I was like then I have to actually figure out how they did it and I just I just like my brain was not working so I couldn't come up with anything yeah. Anyway, and based based off of the ending, uh, what I got is that the culprit was you. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure. I think it it might have even been just like Theo tripping and like tearing the thing, and that's why they keep asking about it because they feel guilty. Okay, because like I don't know the the only reason why I got that is because after you was yeah. talking about how how artistic the the hand yeah. had to be to actually tear that that perfect riff rip i was kind of under the impression that he's fluffing himself up uh or herself i think um, um they're f- fluffing their selves up uh which is why hudson smacked them he's a dude um Huntrod, I, although you know maybe i got a pronoun mixed up there because I, I uh as I, I i mentioned before i started reading when i was writing the dialogue uh i i actually ended up switching who was talking about what a couple times later on yeah uh, so, you know, yeah, I mean, if someone like gets ac- uh, accused of something, it really could be anyone. Like the line is basically the same. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I changed around who was doing what a couple times, and um, so if there maybe there was a there might have been a, a pronoun left over somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So since we're talking about dialogue this this week, what choices did you really make here when it came to writing the dialogue? Because I know a huge part about making sure that each character sounds distinctive is in choosing which characters are actually in the scene. So like how'd that really work out for you? Yeah. So I I wanted to be able to characterize them pretty quickly and pretty simply. And so they're kind of characterized in my head as Huntrod is angry. uh, The rich woman is a rich woman and, and, and talks in like, it says deer a lot. Um, Theo Mm -hmm. as an assistant is always very uh, unsure and asks a lot of, asks a lot of questions but is also like the most level-headed uh mr yeah. gordman is a is a rich dude yeah and he and he seems a lot like a uh opportunist yeah yeah and uh and you is just another another painter so as it went through basically i i tried to introduce them one by one and in, in kind of let you know let the let the the trope fill out the rest right you, you know i don't have to characterize you so much because i mean their name is the letter u and they're a painter yeah and stuff, so it so. seems like that pretentious artist type yeah so i mean you could make that assumption and then basically it, that's your that's your starting point any more characterization i do is just to, to complicate that and to you know maybe show the parts that, that that's not true but I, I don't have to characterize them as not a hick you know like you already can pick up that much yeah and i think you do a really great job of using those those tropes and all of your writing um because it's it's so easy when you do set up these characters like as soon as you said the the rich woman with a expensive coat ah i knew exactly who she she was she was like a corella she's corella deville yeah exactly exactly um which i guess brings me to my only critique that i found was um I mean, of, of of course, I think this is a really great scene, especially this dialogue between characters. And I would love to kind of see what other people think of the piece once the art gra- once the art gallery does open up. Um, mm-hmm. But the only critique that I did find was um, in the beginning when you are setting up these characters, 
uh, it was a little light on the description of kind of what they look like. Even though sure. for most of them, we can assume what they look what they look like. Sure. Like yeah. the like, like the rich woman, like the uh, like the person who runs the the art gallery uh, and the uh, and the assistant. But for the two artists, I wasn't really sure right. what they looked like. Um, yeah, that's and, that's a good point. Yeah, and I feel like especially in this piece where it's it's so much of a rapid fire conversation, I think having that supplementary image provided could have kind of helped round it out a bit more. You know? Yeah, for sure. And and that could be used as another opportunity to to characterize. So yeah, no, I definitely get that. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, for the record, uh, the I, I, I didn't really think of the the, uh, the painters look like, but you is uh, definitely wearing a turtleneck. That's okay. that's the only thing I know of. <laughs> you see, I saw that too. I saw you in a turtleneck, and for some reason, I saw a uh, Miss what was her name? Miss Hudson. H- Huntrod. H- Miss Huntrod, uh, in uh, denim overalls. Okay. All right, I can buy it. I was yeah. picturing, I think, a, more like a like a yellow jacket kind of thing. But, okay, okay. Uh, overalls works, or maybe both. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the main thing uh, as I was going through was uh, finding what, what what's what's the one characteristic I, I really want to like have in each sentence. Yeah. Uh, for the most part, uh, it was yeah, it was those things I described earlier. Uh, I didn't really venture too much from that. I, I think the two that aren't the least characterized is is Mr. Gordman and and you. Uh, so maybe you know in the longer piece I'd, I'd add a little bit more. Although if I were to re- to to do a rewrite, I definitely would do something more interesting than just there being a tear in the painting. Yeah. I, originally, I I actually wrote that there was there was six people and that the six would be a detective. And then again, like I said, I I kind of lost what the mystery was going to be. So I was like, yeah. never mind. Because then, if if there is a de- a detective there, then it would be a true who done it. If only I had just had someone die instead of the painting being marred. If someone just died, this would be so much easier. Because then there's a reason why everyone has to stay in the room and why the detective has to solve the thing. And then you have all the motivations and stuff. See, see, murder solves everything. Murder I should have just done the murder. <laughs> also, murder acts as a really great hook. To be honest. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So one really great thing that I think you did do with this dialogue is that every line of it is definitely pushing for the mm-hmm. uh, narrative, right? I mean, there are there are countless times that we've both seen where some dialogue is just in something just to be quippy and funny and uh, dialogue-y, right? I would say, mm-hmm. like, every Quentin Tarantino movie has that, right? Where people... <laughs> are just saying lines because they sound good and not because it's really pushing the plot forward. Okay. I think, I think Mr. Tarantino might, uh, might disagree with some of that, but sure. Oh, no. I mean, Hey, I love the, the films that he makes. And I think the, the dialogue is really fun, but that's just his style. Right. You know? Um, but within sure. this, the, the dialogue was very effective of pushing the story forward. So was there some sort of process that you went through, through, when it came to like cutting lines or like just simplifying things um i'll be frank not much this time but i think in in other kinds of stories for sure in fact there's a couple places in here that are more for the joke like there's a part you know where uh there's there's a time or two where uh you gets confused about who's talking about them or or who's talking (laughs) about him that was fun um 
yeah, that was my dumb half decent joke. I I I think half decent is probably even a little bit too generous, but it <laughs> it's it's fun. Um, well, no, I mean the, uh, the the joke definitely came across, uh, and it was it seems like very natural comedy. You know, like if a character <laughs> if a character is named you, of course there's going to be mix a a mix up about which you you is talking about. So yeah, it was yeah. it was a solid joke. Uh, for for the record, I think you did that on purpose and i think you knows exactly who you're talking about oh. every time they just <laughs> insist on making themselves the center of attention even if it means people getting pissed at them so you loves that attention it seems yeah you thinks it's the funniest joke when someone <laughs> is mad at them because they weren't talking about him uh, <laughs> so yeah so there's a line where it's it's you know it's just that joke but i think what makes it, you know, feel more propulsive is that I don't, it, it's just like two lines, right? Where we do the shut up thing. Um, and it is characterizing both of these characters a little bit. They don't necessarily advance the plot specifically. It does advance the characters' motivations and feelings. And we don't spend that long to get like bogged down in that either. Uh, you know, if they did, a, if there was like a long back and forth of like, you never should have picked that name. Well, I wanted to ever since we were kids. I yeah. I wanted to be you, <laughs> and then being confused. Yeah. Anyway, so you can imagine something where like it it just goes on a little bit too long, and then you're like, oh yeah, let's let's go back to the story. So yeah, and I mean definitely with with this piece, it it feels like that definitely could have happened. You know, like they could have just been there cracking jokes and. And talking, but you trend the fat off of the story very well, which is why it's like such a very tight scene. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, really, really good. Uh, if you had a second go at it, let's say you had unlimited time, a whole weekend to yourself, you just bought the best bottle of wine you could have possibly mm-hmm. found. You spent like seventy dollars yeah. on it, so it's a big boy. Writer's wine. Um, yeah. If you had all of that time, what would you change about this story? Uh, like I said, I, I'd, I'd rewrite it into a better sort of mystery, if mm-hmm. not a murder mystery, some some sort of heist, but like where everyone's stuck in the room for whatever reason, and also make a reason for why they can't just search everyone's pockets, which was my other problem. <laughs> uh, so so just, just do some sort of mystery. I never thought about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, originally I was like, wait, well, maybe someone just folded it up in their pocket. Obviously, I think the solution there is just to not make it a painting, to make it like, you know, something made of like a silk tapestry or something but yeah or like uh, if if instead of someone ripping it someone uh tagged it right yeah so uh you know change the the core plot i think i would keep the characters and just flesh them out a little bit more uh you know give give some sort of twist to you um and and maybe make that more than just a punchline maybe (laughs) i don't know or maybe make a better punchline i think and uh you know, have a better resolution. If if I were to, you know, just another spend another fifteen minutes on this, I would definitely add like a epilogue thing where it's like people's actual reactions to it, and it's maybe like a newspaper clipping that goes something like, "Artist shows destroyed painting and showing loses all credibility" or something <laughs> like that, just to, you know, okay, tragedy so, is funny. So the painting isn't received well in your mind. Yeah, I think that would be that would be the. Cool. And uh, of course, whenever we do the right thing, it's all about what we learn. So what did you take away from writing this, whether it's small or 
something major. Uh, do your story ahead of time because <laughs> then uh, when when bad things happen in the latter half of the week, you already have your story written and you don't have to worry about it. So uh, get a get a good night's sleep before before you write. Uh, other than that, I, I think is you know still following that that bouncing around method. It's a lot more fun. You know, you, you think of a quippy line and it, you know sometimes you have to cut them. I had to cut three of my quippier lines and. That was just, you know, just just too bad, you know, put in a next story. Uh, Even if you don't figure out the entire, you know, thing of a character, you know, you don't know their entire, you know, personality, at least have their their core traits, the things that you want to bring out and uh, think of how to implement them in dialogue. And and when possible, you know, twist a line so that it can be more in their voice. There was several times where I would write a line for, for Theo and it would come out as more of a statement, and I was like, yeah, "Let's let's make that into a question mark somehow." Okay. Uh, you know, just as a little—it's it, a tiny little thing, just to yeah. reoccur that this this person is very unsure of things. So, all right, great, yeah. yeah. And I think I might have to borrow that bouncing around method because it seems like uh, ever since you said you really started doing that, uh, mm-hmm. you've been just dropping bangers, bro. So, so that's really <laughs> nice. great. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just like if you have a good line, write it down right then. There's no reason why you have to hold on to it and like get to that point. Just just put it down and then resume the part that you were at or you go off of that point. Like like uh, when I'm writing, I'll think of a, of a certain line and I'm like, mm, that's not until like the end of the story. So I'll just hit enter twice just so I can tell that this is not, you know, part of that same section. Yeah. And then I go back and I just continue until I get there. Yeah, and I mean, that's so. especially good, because I know, at, at least for me, uh, if I come up with a great line, I'm like, ah, oh, I'm a genius. That's such a good line. And then literally mm-hmm. 20 seconds later, uh, I can I'll never be able to remember what that line was. So, yeah, it's a really great wise words. Um, <laughs> it's a small tip and a trick. The small tip and a trick. All right. So yep. thank you so much for bringing us your wonderful story this week, Matthias. Mm-hmm. So let's get into our listener story section. Exactly, our listener submitted story. So thank you so much to everyone who did submit a story this week. Without what you do, this podcast would only be 30 minutes long. And who wants to listen to that? Uh, but, of course, we have to give you a really quick warning for those who are listening that the stories that we are about to talk about, we are going to spoil profusely. So if you don't want to be spoiled, you should stop right now, go, read them, and then come on right back so we can talk about them. That's right. So who are we reading this week, Jarvis? This week, we have stories by Stellhex, Sir Raven, Captain Rhino, Fine by Me, and Kasubalu V2. Kasubalu V2 is on... A, a streak i know <laughs> i don't know how this happens we just we go we go on a streak on on very particular series that people are doing yeah and the great thing is that we we always hop in at like the beginning of the series so we're just <laughs> automatically covering all of it it's, it's really cool for the record that is that is very much not intentional this <laughs> is actually the roll of the dice every time so again goes to show if you write every week if you leave your comments if you do your 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 due duty, you'll get selected so much more often. Exactly, exactly. So the first story that we will be talking about this week is by a new writer named Stell Hex with the curator. That's right. Uh, so Stell Hex uh, opens um, by talking about that that their their, their story is a little short, and I I just gotta say, don't worry about it. Yeah. Everyone starts somewhere. Size it's doesn't matter. Only thirty minutes. Uh, I don't like. <laughs> 
that <laughs> implication. So it, no, it doesn't. It doesn't matter so much. Um, you, like I said, you, you you start somewhere and you get faster and faster as you write. And also, you know, I think we all fudged our numbers a little bit. So yeah, don't don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, and I think this is a this is a good story, especially to like like the the, the content is fun is an, and and interesting. So that's the more important bit. So uh, this story has basically this encounter between two uh, magical beings. We have something more uh, like a like a blacksmith who is is narrating. They know the magic of of heat. Mm-hmm. They're they're working the kiln when this this thing shows up and uh, it. It's hard like the ground and shines like the chill and moves like the sky, which is some really great description. And this thing claims to be a student of 800 magics, even though the blacksmith here only knows about four, one of which is heat. But the magic thing doesn't know what about heat magic. So it basically says that it will uh, teach the magic of healing in exchange for the, the, the magic of, of, of heat. And uh, at, at first, there's there's some uncertainty on both sides, but the the thing promises to teach the the healing magic first, and uh, ends here by offering the blacksmith to uh, take a look at its gallery, and it's this like unknowable vision of arcane things. It's this short view into this very mystical, well, magical world. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a little bit hard to like. F- it, it, it's more than reality, so it's harder to picture. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was really great. Uh, I loved, first and foremost, the description of this like otherworldly thing and how foreign it, it really is. Like Even throughout it, it's considered a, a it instead of like a ball or like whatever. So I thought that was really great. And yeah, uh, as you said, it's a really great pic- it's a really great picture into this really interesting world. Um, where there are multiple magics and there's this such thing as, as heat magic. I think that's really cool. So honestly, I'm just kind of looking forward to seeing uh, if this story is to be continued. Um, how exactly uh, will this blacksmith teach this this thing magic? And also, you know, it'd be cool to see if we can get a little bit more backstory into what this thing is because it's being built up so much. Um, but overall, sure. it's, it's a really great story. And yeah, I think it's the, the perfect length for this scene. Really great. Yeah, uh, my I, I think the, my favorite thing in here is the the things, you know, deciding that it's going to teach uh, healing magic and that it always does that. I think that it suddenly implied a lot of things to me. Healing magic is not a, a violent thing. So it's always it's it's giving up this thing where it just makes the world a better place. The more people know it. Yeah. So it just implied some stuff about the the thing that I, I really enjoyed. Um, yeah, very but yeah, uh, th- thanks for, for joining us, Delhex, and I hope to see more stories by you in the future. Exactly. All right, next up is Captain Rhino with The Reaper Approaches. That's such mm-hmm. a great title. Yeah. So uh, as as you might tell, this this is about death. Uh, this approaching. person, uh, Tiante, is, is doing this ritual to summon an avatar of death to speak to. And there's, there's kind of this internal turmoil about... Uh, or, or internal debate about how uh, this really isn't so bad because Deontay is not asking for more time like everyone else is always wrestling with death, but just uh, to know when because Deontay has a brain tumor and they could die at any moment, basically. And they just want to know if they should be like living life like it's the last or if they should, you know, be saving uh, for his for his daughter. Um mm-hmm. 
and uh, so death is is summoned and immediately things kind of go wrong death is it, at first we kind of think that death is just misunderstanding what this is for um saying do you really think you could bargain with death and uh, death when they're summoned is like raises Deontay in a noose so it's like oh oh god this is not this is not going <laughs> this well isn't good. and so the dialogue of the of death kind of goes back and forth between uh, this italics almost like in Deontay's thoughts mm-hmm. and then in all all bolded caps where another aspect of death is speaking and it's it's really concerning, but it ends with Death uh, giving some information, but not the information Tiante wanted, saying, you meet your death at the hands of your daughter's murderer. Internally goes, what? Charlize hasn't been murdered. Make good use of this information, mortal. Death that awaits till our next meeting. Uh, and then Death departs like a crow on a moonless night, which is very, very cool. You have this really, really interesting uh, dialogue, really interesting set of for a story. The, obviously, the the twist there is while Tiante doesn't know when specifically they'll die, but they'll die after their daughter dies, and their daughter's going to get murdered, and neither of these things, probably, they can do anything about. So what they do with that information is going to be interesting. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I would like to start off by saying I love the name Tiante. Uh, that's my cousin's mm-hmm. name, so that's really cool. Um, that's great. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I think the setup for this story is really great. Um, it doesn't really start directly in the story, but it is definitely telling us the overview, the uh, the like context. And I think it's really cool how they kind of phrase it on how these gods are only evil in our eyes and like certain things like that. I think that's really great. And then when we get down to the actual conversation, um, I really love what is done with the voice of, of death and how it is in the main character's head and how it switches from these whispers uh, in their head to these bold lines that assume is, is also in their head. I think it's a really cool way that it was uh, formatted. Uh, and of course, the like cliffhanger at the end I thought was really awesome because it kind of repainted what I thought this this story would be so that's yeah really great job yeah about the dialogue so basically two parts of death are, are speaking there, there, there's two humanoid things in the room there is the thing currently choking um, Tiante in a, in a noose and I think that's the italics lines or at least it's closer to that right it's whispering in his, in his head it's more articulate and then the uh, wax skull uh, in, in the middle of the ritual is speaking the the bolded lines and those are just like declarations of what death is you belong to death death has seen your face death waits at your right hand and your left death ends all death consumes all death is never satisfied death is eternal while the other aspect of death is 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 saying all the the specifics i think this is a really interesting way to to balance the two yeah and to have these two kinds of terror and just just general spookiness uh combined together i I thought that was a really interesting way to show death yeah and a very chilling story uh above all else well thank you very much captain rhino all right and next up is uh sir raven with a untitled story uh that's right so 
in this story, we, we follow this narrator as they imply that there's something going on with their body. Uh, they're in this desert. It's extremely hot. There's the cruel summer heat, which is a great way to describe that. Mm-hmm. The main character is missing the right arm. They can feel it out there in, in some direction. It's just they have to get to it. The main character's brother shows up and they exchange, well, a dialogue. And we can tell that there's not a bit of, there's a bit of tension, but it's not like anger. It's just conflicting wants and desires mm-hmm. the main character is not happy where they are with the, their mother and their brother um, they kind of feel like a burden that they have to be taken care of as we go through we kind of make the assumption that they're like some sort of like zombie like creature mm-hmm. or otherwise not a healthy human being and so they talk about how they want to go to the place where there's other people like them through the dialogue we, we kind of see how that pains the brother how it's a it's a hard decision for all of them but uh, they they eventually go find uh, the arm. It it reattaches a bit of like grisly description. It's it's kind of gross. Muscle <laughs> cords audibly reattach themselves. It, it feels frail and begins to spasm. But anyway, it ends with the brother saying, "I'll take you to the airport. Uh, just keep in touch." Yeah, it's a really sweet dialogue, and and I really like how this this conflict between them is resolved in this meaningful way. Yeah, uh, I really like how. <clears throat> Even though the frame of this story is supernatural, all of the conversations and and dialogue and issues are very real, you know, and they're very grounded. Mm-hmm. I just really love the back and forth between these these characters. I mean, quickly through the dialogue, each one is characterized very well, and yeah, and I do like the subtle mystery around what is exactly wrong. Um, but yeah. it is very clear to see that it's probably a collection of things that is kind of driving him to want to be where he belongs, which is, which is a very, very true and very human feeling that we all feel. So, yeah, I mean, I found this story immensely relatable, even though I, I have both my arms. Yeah. And I mean, if you get someone to, to feel what it's like to have your arm um, unattached and then reattached. Well, I mean, I think that's that's a success. <laughs> it really is. That's that's all we can hope for. Uh, all right, the next story is by Kasubli V2, another uh, entry in the Magic Rings series. Uh, this one titled Confession. So we, we pick up right where we left off in the middle of a conversation with uh, Kara, her sister, mm-hmm. having just come in and mentioned that Inquisitors are in town looking for a demonic book, oh, which... No. Kara happens to have just read a demonic book, weird coincidence. Uh, and Kara is in a conversation with another uh, magic user, Nimian. So Kara is panicking with the realization of what's going to happen. And then Nimian in front of her is like, wow, you're really freaked out. You're clearly a magic user. Do you know what you're going to do here? Do you have any safe place? And she's like, no, no, no. <laughs> um, and yeah, so so the the panic is is really really clear, not just in the narration, but in her in her dialogue. And Nimian says basically, uh, we gotta leave. Uh, I've got a place, and we gotta go. And Kara, we kind of tell, is like in to almost shock. Uh, Nimian says we need to start packing, and Kara's like packing. Why are we packing? And Nimian's like to get out of here, duh, <laughs> because there's inquisitors. It ends with this this mixed, uh, excited and, and fearful fear- feeling. Kara's never been outside the city, so she's you know not, not sure what it's gonna be like out there, but she's always kind of wanted to uh, at the same time. So uh, yeah, it really mixed feeling. And of course, we're uh, 
as always, interested in what's what's the next chapter of this Magic Ring series and and what kind of Earth magics and and whatnot Kara is going to be able to perform. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I really liked how the Inquisitors that were exploring a lot in the first entry are coming back, and and I think a huge benefit of like already seeing them is that we now know like why we should be fearing it, right? Like like we know what is in store. And we also know that Kara is in no way, shape, or form ready to kind of face that. Um, and, and I yeah. think that's, like, really cool how that kind of works. And on the dialogue, the the dialogue is really great. I mean, as you said, it is it is picking up exactly where the last one left off. And in this one, uh, all of the dialogue is just pushing forward. It is pushing Kara to realize that uh, they need to go. Um Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing them on the run and see maybe if they have a run-in with the Inquisitors. So yeah, uh, very excited to see what is in store for us. Yeah, uh, my only little critique is that Kara is kind of extremely panicked. Mm-hmm. I feel that maybe cutting down just a little bit on her descriptions of panic because there's like a lot of moments where I feel like we only need a couple to understand how panicked she is. I think that we're told that she's panicking a little too strongly, I think. That's all. Um, But I I really, really liked it. And I like in Kasubu V2's comments uh, saying, by the way, A-I-A-B, all Inquisitors are bastards. (laughs) And then saying that they definitely don't know what we're talking about. Depiction of Inquisitors is definitely not colored by recent events. Um, which Which is cool. I mean, you know, frankly, this in this nation, I'm pretty sure the institution of Inquisitors is probably bad for everyone, no matter who is the Inquisitor. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, what connection to, to current events? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but thank you very much. And next up is Fine By Me with an untitled story. Right. So this is this is a really fascinating story. I actually really really enjoyed this one. We have um, John and Mary uh, opening with uh, Mary asking John, "Are you even listening?" And John's description and, and narration kind of drifts for, even from the very beginning from thing to thing. It starts off with how this this room is hot. There's poor ventilation in here, and then kind of comes back to reality, uh, remembering that they're in an art gallery. He's he's with Mary. They've been five years together, and Mary's pissed at her him right now and he just drifted off and so as we as we go through they have this dialogue and we get more narration of how distracted and drifty John is and it's really really sad as we go through it's clearly John struggling and Mary is we first come off with kind of like Mary's kind of just seems like she doesn't understand at all mm-hmm. how difficult these things are and we're kind of like John that just just tell her that you have, you know, Alzheimer's or something. Like, t- like I, I don't know what exactly it is, but, you know, tell her. But if they kind of go through, it, you know, they have they sit down and they have a dialogue. It seems that this is kind of something they've both been dealing with for a long time. And Mary ends it there. Uh, she says, I'm done. We are done. And to, to connect it back to this, this meandering thing, uh, it finishes with, oh, good, John reflected. He was tired of sitting in the sun anyway, which is a, a callback to the three times that we talk about heat in the story mm-hmm. and how he just gets distracted by anything environmental. It was hot in the room. Yeah, it's just, it's this really, really sad story. I, I really enjoyed reading it. I, I think this is, is definitely worth reading. It was really tragic. Yeah, uh, I love how grounded the story really is. Uh, 
it reminds me of definitely some of those arguments that you'll see in a marriage story. And I'm only quoting that because I've recently watched it. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, I think the dialogue in this is so good because not only is it perfectly characterizing the person that is speaking, but it's also kind of hinting at the subtext of like what they're really trying to, to say. And I also like how much time we do spend in John's head, how we're flowing from idea to idea, and it's, and it's very clear that John just really isn't into it, right? Like, like there's definitely something that's having him like 10 steps back from being present. And I and, and yeah, yeah, I just really like uh, that the story perfectly portrays that. We kind of go through it, and, and Mary kind of feels like a jerk. But then it's also like that would be such a huge struggle to to be in a relationship with someone that's that's not able to be in the moment like that. Mm-hmm. Now they definitely deserve support in other ways, and I really hope that Mary didn't just like walk away and leave John at the table because that's that's probably not a good idea. But it's pretty understandable how frustrated and probably, you know, lost she feels. And John isn't even aware of it enough uh, to, to feel bad about it, which is just, yeah, real sad. Exactly. So, so uh, thank you very much. It's fine by me. And thanks for uh, doing the right thing. I know this is your first time. So really great. Mm-hmm. Let's thank everyone who uh, did the right thing this week. All right. So Thank you very much to Stell Hex. Thank you to Captain Rhino. Thank you, Sir Raven. Thank you, One Mary Lilac. Thank you, Paradox. Thank you, Cow Subaloo V2. Thank you, Jarby Jazz. And thank you, Sfine by me. Nice. And also, we want to thank everyone who left a comment. Leaving a comment is definitely half the job of doing the right thing. Not only will you uh, get better at analyzing other people's work, but also that attention to detail can help you in your own writing. So thank you very much to Jarby Jazz. Thank you, Captain Rhino. Thank you, Paradox. Thank you, Words on the Wind, who didn't write a story but left comments anyway. Really appreciate that. Exactly. Thank you, Fine by Me. And again, thank you, One Mary Lilac. So, if you want to be like all of these all, all these wonderful writers and submit your story to the latest episode of Do the Right Thing, you can do that easily by going to our Reddit, which is slash r slash do the right thing. Just go to the most recent episode, look at the words, and leave a comment with your story. That's right. And if you don't have a Reddit account or you just want to tell us anything at all, you can send us an email at rightthinkcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And if you want to see next week's words as soon as possible, well, you could just wait till the end of this episode because that's the easiest way to truly get the words. But if you don't want to do that, or if you do want to do it and still, you know, have a more physical way to see the words, then you can go to mm-hmm. our Twitter, which is at RightThingCast. Right, the most physical place for a podcast to exist. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, so... Uh, so, so what's what's going on in Doof Media? I'm so glad you asked, Jarvis. Um, <laughs> there's, there's tons going on in Doof Media. There's there's so much. Um, now that I have this the, the other podcast, Decomposing Worm, another worm analysis podcast that me and Clarence are doing, uh, I always forget what I'm plugging at the end of the episodes. So I'm really <laughs> afraid of like when when am I repeating things? Um, so hopefully hopefully not. But uh, last week uh, there was the monthly game club uh, covering Transistor. So I don't know if you saw that episode, Jarvis, but I think you should. Yes, it is my favorite game. <laughs> they talked about that and uh, all, all the wonderful things that make Transistor Transistor. And the game for next month is FTL Faster Than Light, which is one of my top 10 favorite games of all time. So I'm 
really looking forward to that. Um, and uh, of course, there's there's so much else going on in the Doofcast. Uh, Pale Reflections goes on. I, I love Elliot and Rubin's coverage of that. Mm, what to say is going on, even though I haven't seen it in the or listened in a very long time. I I, I know it's there for for when I feel bad, uh, because mm-hmm. it's just a d- delightful um, podcast with with Scott and and Lisa. They're in season two now, so oh, that's wow. that's cool. And and so much more. Uh, I, I would, would take another minute for me to, to rattle off all, all our other podcasts and projects. But uh, you can help us out uh, a lot by becoming a Doof Media patron. Uh, what, I, what I want to plug this week, uh, keeping in theme with uh, the Game Club, is if you uh, if you donate at the $1 level, you join our Discord, of course. And, and one little feature of that is that there are, are very often streams that are exclusive to the Discord. You know, stuff that we don't really have the the timer set up to to do a whole twitch stream on but you know we still want to just give the opportunity for other people to 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 tune in and hang out uh so periodically we'll we'll host streams on there or uh, other patrons might as well so if you're interested in that a lot at all i think it's a really really good place to go all right dope 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 so matthias what are next week's words well, I'm so, so glad you asked, Jarvis, because the words next week are on my phone, which I'm looking at right now. So they are Q, precision, aim, advisor. Uh, Q as in a line, uh, like... A Q in a playlist? Yeah, yeah, like a like the songs are in a line, I guess. Um, yeah, a, a, a Q. Uh, precision as in to... Um, it's, a, it's a synonym for accuracy, but I think it means slightly, something slightly different. Um well, how does that metaphor go, right? If it's like, if you're shooting, uh, shooting at a target, accuracy is them like kind of all over the place, but some are in, in the bullseye and then precision is that they're all closely placed together, whether it's a bullseye or not. Right. Oh, I've never heard that phrase. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a, uh, because the, the terms are, are really important for when, when you're performing science and, okay. uh, you need really precise measurements not just accurate accurate is like getting the right answer precise is getting cons- consistent answers mm, I think. I see. uh aim as in to aim for something uh, the last one is is uh advisor which is a person who advises people nice nice before we before we talk about our stories uh, jarvis what, what's the what's the topic next week so the topic for next week will be atmosphere mm. uh, basically all those things that uh you do to kind of set up not only where you are but how we should feel about this place it can go anywhere from describing the purple fog that's slightly hovering above a like small mining town versus Mm -hmm. uh describing the stale air of a hospital these are all things that can be considered atmosphere so we'll be talking about that next week all right (laughs) so matthias (laughs) what story are you going to definitely write next week so I'm going to be writing about a celestial uh, bureaucracy. Basically, uh, you know how, so, so, so like in heaven, right? Um, <laughs> there's like countless, there's countless gods there, except yeah. um, they're all, they're all like, in, in this world, they're all like guardian angels, uh, except they're snakes and they are all advisors. So they um, kind of slither down to earth. Um, well, actually, uh, heaven is underground in this, so they slither out of the ground, uh, not that you can see them, and then they slither up your ankle up to uh, next to your ear, and that's where, where they, they talk to you. We follow this this uh, one uh, snake who has been in the queue for a very, very long, long time to get to you know their, their chosen guardian person, and they, they finally get there, and that person uh, wants, to be, wants to be a marksman uh, so bad, and, but the, the problem is, is that they, they lack precision, and uh, they're, they're constantly uh, missing 
And so uh, the snake, what d- it does is when the guy is on the battlefield, it um, snakes onto the i love how snakes is a verb real quick i just want to talk about that like snakes (laughs) snake around which is wonderful uh it snakes to like circle the the sniper rifle and it actually it's the one that aims it it like slithers so like it could like it wraps around his arm it can like bend his arm a little bit and then like puts his face up to the up to the scope and it's the one that's actually doing all all the shooting even though the the person doesn't know and that's that's the that's the story Okay, I dig it, I dig it. Um, <laughs> uh, next week, my story is going to be a little bit more grounded than I'm used to. I'm seeing it as Baby Driver meets American Sniper. Okay. <laughs> so basically, we're going to follow this good-to-do, true blue American man named John Doe. And, and John <laughs> Doe joined the army. Uh, because he wanted to be a sniper, but also uh, he wanted to do good by his country and make some rock and music while he does it. So hell yeah! On, so so on the battlefield, of course, uh, all of his training and aim and and precision gives him the highest body count of of any other soldier. But with each person that he does strike down, that beautiful melody that's in his heart is slowly fading. Even when he continues to switch up his his cue on Spotify to cheery <laughs> and more upbeat music, the act of confirming kills is just so harsh on him. To the point to where after his long stay overseas, he has to spend a, many, many months with a advisor who is slowly coaching him not only back into as, assimilating into society... But also coaching him on how to find his his inner song once more. Wow, this this is a new musical that's going to coming to a theater n- near you. Yeah, it's the sound of gunfire. The sound of gunfire. <laughs> that's all we have for y'all this week. We hope that this wonderful uh, debacle of a podcast is helping you do the right thing. Do the right thing. Nice, clean, Brilliant. cut to the point. <laughs> <laughs>